And this whole like tail thing throughout this movie is so repulsive because it's, you know, they're trying, she's trying to like tape it down because it's like waggling around and she's wearing jeans and you're like, oh, that's a body like, you imagine? I just imagine her making out with some guy and like he reaches down to grab her butt and then all of a sudden he's like, wait. And like- it's like the tail's wagging. <laughs> Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. We have a very special episode today. We do. Kittens and cats. Hello. Uh, We are talking to Josh Stafford today, who we're so excited to talk to because he co-owns the Mayfair Theater up in Ottawa, Canada, who have been an awesome supporters of ours for so long and we like so much love so much love um and so independent cinema like i'm just so excited to like champion like this is our goal with the show this is what we love and i'm just so happy to have him here today yeah so we're gonna we're gonna talk about all this stuff you guys so we got uh he also uh is one of the hosts of the mayfair theater podcast which has over 300 episodes uh he also co-wrote the comic red giant for the comic book flip which is co-written by paulo montes and also wrote the flash forward flashback episode of DC's Superhero Girls. And uh, his newest project is a comic book called Damned Cursed Children, which is co-written by Howard Wong and has art by Robin Simon Ng. And we are so excited to talk to you, Josh. Hello. Hello, friends. Oh, it's so great to be here. Welcome. Great to have you here. We're so excited. <laughs> so uh, we let's talk about first, um, let's talk about the comic book first. So this sure. is uh, something that is it, the first issue came out uh, January, and then we have one in, in February and March. Is that correct? We're a good old-fashioned miniseries. We're five issues, actually. Uh, so January Great. through May. And a lot of publishers, I think, have been bitten before by artists or writers not hitting deadlines. Comics are kind of famous for it. So sometimes you will get a fourth issue six months after the third. So our publisher, Source Point Press, are geniuses. And so the book's done. Like it is five issues drawn, lettered, covers, everything's ready to go. So we're just basically doing publicity for the next five months. And uh, then sometimes afterwards in the fall, it'll hopefully come out as a nice big, big fat trade comic book. But as a comic nerd, I love that it's coming out as a monthly 22 page comic book that people can read and has cliffhangers and you can pick up at your store or by digital means if that's what you want to do. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's another nerd dream come true to have this comic book finally hitting the comic stores very soon. Yeah, is it feels surreal to be able to walk into a comic book shop and be like, oh, there's my comic hanging out with all these other comics. Yeah, and it it never I haven't done that many, but I've written a handful now. And it never gets old. And like a while ago, we had we were lucky enough to have Max Brooks visit the Mayfair to do a a zombie night. Actually, Carleton University had him come in. And it was so funny because the first half was a really smart, like mathematician university kind of guy who basically did a seminar about how we're all screwed if zombies ever actually happened. And then the second half was Max Brooks just talking about his stuff. And I got to chat with him afterwards and was saying how I had a, a comic book come out at the time it was one called Zomkies, which is about zombie monkeys. And yeah, <laughs> and, and he said, terrifying. Uh, yeah, he said about about World War Z and everything that he was like, yeah, it never gets old. And he's written a handful of comic books. And he's like, there's nothing better than just holding that comic book in your hand because you flash back to four year old you. I'm sure Julia, like, you know, if you flash back to four-year-old you and if you're in a theater watching your movie, you're like, oh, well, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how did how did the 
idea for this specific comic come about? Because it is this kind of zombie apocalypse thing. So is this something that, or or seemingly, I don't know, this is the first issue that I've read. So I don't know what the, the overarching deal is behind the thing, but a zombie-esque apocalypse. Um, so how did this idea begin? It's one of those stories that is, you know, creativity when you weren't planning it. Uh, my friend Howard Wong, who is a comic book writer, he's done stuff for Image Comics and for Marvel, and he's done a bunch of uh, anime stuff. Um, I phoned him one day, and there was a big Comic-Con in Toronto. And this is years ago. This was like eight, eight nine years ago. And he was super sick because he had little kids at the time. And if anyone has ever been anywhere near little kids, they know that they're just germ factories. And he was Constantly. sick. <laughs> yeah, and he was sick. And the last time I talked to him, he was sick. And the time before that, he was sick. And the words came out of my mouth. I was like, ah, those damn cursed children are going to kill you. And Howard said a light bulb went over his head and went, that's a great name for a book. And I said, oh, you can have it. Go write it. And he's like, I'm really busy. You go write it. And it's it's collaboration at its best. And like, so if I get credit for the title, Howard gets credit for saying actually do it. I get credit for putting the plot together. Howard gets credit for forming it into like more kind of comic booky world. Then we worked on it together just over the magic of the internet forever, just stories back and forth. And then he found us a publisher after years and years. And it really is a like near decade overnight success story, which is usually the key I find oh, wow. in, in any sub genre of the arts. Anyone who's Every like overnight story. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> <It's a> decade. <laughs> and then now by, you know, funny, not funny coincidence, uh, it's being published during a worldwide pandemic. And Howard said he talked to the yeah. powers that be and were like, I, do you guys want to postpone this? But they were gung ho and go straight ahead. And I've said, if, you know, if somebody pulls this out of a, a, out of a cheap bin in 30 years, they're going to assume it was written in 2020, but it was written in like 2013, 2014. And just bizarre coincidence that it kind of came out during, during a, a, a horror movie that we're all living in right now. <laughs> Seriously. So what, what are some of the, the zombie films that you look to or zombie comics that you look to for inspiration? Well, I am a child of George Romero for sure. Yes. Um, we are George I, Romero 100% on this podcast. Long yeah. live the maestro. Yes. What? One of his uh, his later films, his his uh, his kind of comeback zombie films that he did later in his career, he did an introduction for the Mayfair and just one of those simple little like him sitting in front of a camera. His assistant probably set it up and he, you know, he said he said, welcome, everybody to the Mayfair Theater. And it was just like it's it's those moments when you're like, wow, George Romero is saying hello to the Mayfair crowd. And so. It, oh, yeah that's so rad wow <laughs> and even which though of, which of his it's your favorite oh my god well see i being a vhs kid and that yes. era of Proof. like pre pre-blockbuster even it you know it makes me it always makes me sound it's my grandpa stories now you know when i was a kid you know but <laughs> oh yeah, before the blockbuster, we'd go to the local store. Yeah, no, I get it. Trying to explain VCRs to children. <laughs> we used to go when we first started renting. We would rent the VCR with the tape. Yeah, yes. the beta. I yeah. remember renting the machine. Yeah. My mom would get us a laserdisc player and laserdiscs from the library because at the library you could ah. get on a waiting list. And so I have these memories of watching you know, Star Wars and stuff like that on these giant laser discs that, that, you know, try to explain that to somebody. Now that's even more weird that there was these machines and you had, you had to <laughs> so, flip it halfway through. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Star Wars laser disc has stuff on it that didn't come out on any other, like some sort of commentary or behind the scenes stuff that like they didn't put on any other thing. So it's one of the rare ones, I think. Um, I think yeah, so, laser yeah. disc. What a fucking weird format! I, I, just like the the ones that go by, it's like you have the eight tracks. Like, oh no, that that didn't work. We got beta. Nope, that didn't work. Uh, laser disc. Nope. But then, like, it just keeps going. And like, what's beyond Blu-ray? Who who knows? Yeah. But, sorry. Like, back to Romero. Back to zombies. Let's. <laughs> yes. 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 My mom got me a like from Zellers, which I don't think you guys have, but it's like Kmart. 
got me like a VHS copy of Night of the Living Dead for like one ninety nine because, as all us nerds yeah. know, it was public domain. <laughs> so these distributors could get all these old, um, you know, B movies and Night of Living Dead and put them out and sell them for two bucks on VHS or three bucks on VHS. So my mom, cause she's awesome, got 10 or 12 year old me that at the Zellers. So I remember watching it. It was colorized and, but you could take oh. the TV, the old timey TVs at the time. And I remember all I had to do was kind of change the color dial to black and white. So even at 12, I was film snob enough to do that. And <laughs> good for you. So that was my, yeah. So that was my, my first crossover with Romero. And then just kind of in the years after watched everything else. But I remember that first movie and, and there's, there's, you know, you could look at it now and, and there's some parts that are a little dated or some parts a little campy or, or some parts, the dialogue's not whatever, but, but man, I still, it stands up. Like it's just the simplicity of it. And even as a little kid of, I really got that, wow, this means something that there's a black central character that our hero. And yeah, I don't know if you can spoil Night of the Living Dead, but like what happens at the end, I remember being 12 and you being like, wow, I just like, you don't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or Star Wars and see your hero dead at the end, roll credits, <laughs> like nothing heroic, no big catch line. They just kill him. And God, that sticks yeah. with you. <laughs> I love it. I mean, those are my yeah. favorite endings, right? Like the, if everybody dies, especially if the hero dies and like, it's just like the bleak is a bleak. Julia goes, yes, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> it wins for me for that ending. Cause it, I mean, it's, it is, it is terrible, uh, but it is. It's more truthful. real life though. Yeah. It's so more truthful. Yeah. Oh, heartbreaking, but beautiful. So good. So something um, that we were really excited about this comic, uh, damned cursed children. Uh, we're in this comic. We get eaten by children, zombie children. <laughs> We made it. Like, I just, like. I made it, made Ma. It. Top of the world, Ma. <laughs> and that's just a, a what's so great about. end up in this, in this, Josh? <laughs> yeah. What's great about doing, the blessing and the curse about doing independent projects is you are fixing stuff up to the 11th hour. And so Howard, in this case, is our letterer. So we really got to go picky and go back and forth on that. And it's like that old saying that, I've heard it's credited to George Lucas, but I think he credited it to his uh, one of his teachers, but like that a film is never finished. It's just released. And that's like anything like if, if you stick a script in front of me and I don't have, you know, have to be done by Friday, that could be the next 15 years. You just keep going, you know. So in the case of, of your little cameo in the book, uh, Howard said, Oh, we have our character. Our, the first character we see is a daycare teacher. And then she's in this room where everything goes wrong and all the kids turn into monsters. And Howard said something about we don't get an association with being other people there. Like, it's weird. Like, is she a nanny of 20 kids? But we see some dead people around. So if we just had a couple names and I had just finished listening to one of your podcasts and I thought, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> and I said, what, can we use Julie and Terry as the two other teachers? And and it, it, it's not there's no dialogue spoken by you two or anything like that. But you're just and I thought, you know, some people might be offended by being dead in a comic book. But I was like, ah, oh, this would be cool. They, they'll probably no. think that's cool. <laughs> we were highly honored. Like we freaked out. Julia like <laughs> calls me like screaming. And I was like, what just happened? We're immortalized in this comic now. And we were over the moon excited to be dead people that's literally our goal all the time it is Julia oh. loves being doused in blood for a movie like she likes being killed in a movie Be, Ready. yeah i haven't been eaten by zombies before this is a new one i'm so excited it's like off the bucket list now so <laughs> delightful um and speaking of delightful uh can we talk about the mayfair theater because yes, oh, for sure. man yes, yes. delightful as fuck so Tell us, I know it's uh, an old theater in Ottawa. So tell us, can we tell us a little bit about the history and then how you got involved in the theater? Yeah, the Mayfair is, uh, sadly, uh, we're, we're more and more of a, of a anomaly where, you know, once upon a time, every big and small town in North America, every one horse town had a cinema that looked like the Mayfair in it. And now uh, my wife Gwen and I have traveled to a bunch of places 
Chicago, Boston, Las Vegas over the past few years. And they're all gone. Like it's, uh, they, they, cities have cities that do have them. It's, it's a rarity that they should cherish because the Mayfair opened in 1932 and my high school years were, we have five years of high school here in, in Ottawa at the time. So it was 89 to 94. And I just live there. My friends and I live there. It would be a joke. Like it wouldn't even say we're going to title. It'd be like, we're going to the Mayfair. And so we would just go. <laughs> and I'm sure it's the same in your guys' town. Like when I was in high school, uh, both chain and independent, there was at least probably 10 that are gone now. Um, I live in kind of central downtown Ottawa and within walking distance of where I'm sitting right now, there used to be 10 cinemas that are, that are don't exist. Uh, and very sadly, wow. kind of our, our unofficial sister cinema here in town was Ottawa's great. Cause we, we have two uh, and the Bytown um, got killed uh, over the holidays, over Christmas. Um, they announced no. that they were closing down and it's, it's uh, there is still, uh, you know, there's always hope, you know, us, us geeks save the Mayfair. So there's hope out there for the Bytown, but uh, the Bytown cinema, which, which is another beautiful single house cinema. And despite us, you know, on paper being competitors, we're, we're not, you know, we have a very good social media relationship and crossover about, you know, just fun stuff of like, oh, we don't have that, but the Mayfair has it now. Like there's never been any, any uh, animosity there. Mm -hmm. So, so now uh, we're the we're the last cinema standing in in Ottawa for an independent house, and we're coming back. People are very scared, which is which is very nice. But we keep on saying, like you know, in in the best of times, an independent business of any subgenre needs every dollar. But uh, we've been working hard and taking advantage of every government grant we can get, and doing fundraisers. And our patrons have been insanely um, supportive of us. And I just, I always think of like the Mayfair has lived through world wars and the invention of the television and HBO and video <laughs> stores. And we're still here and, you know, we're still going to be here years from now. And, and it's, I, I look at it and, you know, you don't want to make light of, of a whole bunch of people losing jobs, but the way it is right now with you look at the news and I'm like, I'm going to be less surprised if we're still here in five years and the multiplexes are gone because they're going through all kinds of trouble right now. So it's a strange world, but, uh, but we're hanging in there and it's, it's a, it's a wonderful place. And we've had Julia's work up on screen. That's where I discovered uh, horror movies. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. What a star. What a star. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, so yeah. where, where can people support? Uh, I know that you guys are doing good, but as you said, every dollar helps. So if people wanted to support the Mayfair, how can they do that? Yeah. So, I mean, you can find us all over the internet. Uh, our website's mayfairtheater.ca. And over 2020, or since March 2020, what has really been amazing is is just these It's a Wonderful Life stories over and over and over again so like currently we're renting out our marquee so you can book our marquee for a day and get a message put up there so it's just been overflowing with romance That's a great so, idea yeah i love that we've had wedding proposals anniversaries birthdays all that kind of stuff up there it's in the past few getting months proposed to off a marquee julia i, I like, was just gonna say <laughs> like fellas take note if you, Dreams. Would, if you want to win Julio Marquez's art, heart, just uh, propose to me on a marquee at the Mayfair. And there you are. Yeah. It's done. Done. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put it up there. I'm going to shoot my shot, Julie. We're getting married. Okay. I'm going to put that up there. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. And, and people oh my have, gosh. And people have been, um, we did a fundraiser years ago to get a digital projector. And we did all kinds of stuff of having having concerts and, and rent the theater and, and all, all kinds of different things. And we, we sold off name tags on seats, little, little plaques on seats. And we sold, I can't even remember, we sold like say 25 and that was great. So it came up again, thanks to our patrons actually back in March, they were like, oh, are you guys still doing that? So we put it back up, we, we put the word out and I genuinely thought, oh, we'll sell another 25. We sold them all. So we sold all 325 seats. And then the domino effect from that is we just kind of joked. My partners and I were like, well, let's just be like a NASCAR. Let's just sell everything. So we sold the popcorn machine and the projectors <laughs> and the piano. And the funniest people have a sense of humor is the first things that went 
were the washroom stalls and the urinals. So people have a little yes. plaque on those now. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we've sold stuff to- It's like- That would be my like, dream, honestly. Well, it's, like, like, yeah. it's like at the Prince Charles Cinema in London where they have the Kevin Smith stall. Because he was like, I, that's what I, because they have a, like a Quentin Tarantino themed, really nice thing. And he's like, I don't want that. I want a bathroom stall. That's what I want. And I was like, yeah, go, go for it, Kevin Smith. So it's like along those lines, yeah, kind of an honor in a, in a, in a humble way. It is. But also like, it feels like very John Waters. Like I want to have yes. the filthiest, you know, like of the <laughs> yeah. filthy spots, like where, you, when you're taking that moment, think of me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, when we Aww. when we posted the one of the guys who who did uh, who bought the urinal, and I kind of do a lot of the social media, and it's just during these times, just anything to be online and positive and kind of keep the word out there. So we've been posting all the marquee pictures and the and the name tags. So I posted the urinal, and the guy on his Twitter site was like, was like, I've genuinely never been more bizarrely honored to be immortalized on a urinal at the Mayfair Theater. Uh, and, and we've had people from, uh, you know, uh, from from northern Canada in Nunavut, from London, England, from Vancouver. Um, uh, we might have a name on the wall in honor of you guys coming up, you know, so we've we've got. Uh-huh. All, uh-huh. Like, and and we wanted to some, support as well, you know. Yeah. And it's like got like I'm I'm a crier like you like. If, if you put a list of every movie I've cried at versus every movie I've not cried at, it would be this like big chart of like this giant red line and this tiny little line at the bottom. And I'm just like, my wife's teasing me because I'm just constantly sitting in front of the laptop choking up because of all this goodwill. And these stories of like, like my grandma went to the Mayfair and she's passed away and we wanted to buy her a seat or, or my grandma worked at the Mayfair in the fifties was it and uh we wanted the popcorn machine in her honor uh or we got married at the mayfair or now we have kids and we met at the mayfair and uh a high school friend of mine who now is in vancouver and her first date was ever at the mayfair so she always remembers that or just all these stories and and you know you're like you know like the the multiplex is not getting these stories like nobody is going out of their way and that's why i was like that's why you guys are lasting longer is yes i feel that it's because of the community you create you literally are part of people's lives in these monumental occasions i mean i made a a whole documentary about how i feel about this subject right we have out of print and this is something that yes this is what it's about it's about the people who've met there who've talked there who've worked there and have it be a, a kind of a symbol of cinema more than a cinema itself, even though it's both. And so you're able to really connect with people who have the same love you do. Um, so how, so what are you selling now? Have you sold out? Like, are you continuing to go? Where does it stop? Yeah, it's funny. So we put right now, uh, we have a plaque in the cinema um, that uh, will be immortalized with horror movie survival guide momentarily. And yeah. it has, <laughs> room for 72 spaces and there's about 20 ish on there now uh if and when that fills up on the mirror wall there's perfect space for another one so we're going to put another one there uh what we're doing now as well is the poster boxes we have a bunch of poster boxes so we're selling off some of those and then the marquee and what's been great is like for the marquee the marquee is gonna fetch a pretty penny for the marquee yeah and and the marquee's neat because um we don't know when we're coming back. No, nobody knows what's going on. We can be hopeful and think in the, it was supposed to be uh, the, the day that I am talking to you guys right now, it was supposed to be, I believe yesterday in Ontario, but that has been pushed back sadly. And so whether we're back in two weeks or a month or two months, uh, who knows, but people are starting to book it in for like February and March. And I'm telling people, well, we might be back then, but we don't know. And people have been very, supportive of fallback ideas like we can put it on in the morning for a couple hours and then put our show times on afterwards so we're we're pivoting with different ideas but uh some people mm-hmm. and and i'm very kind of humble canadian so i'm like i'm not saying this to guilt trip people into doing this but some people have just been sending us money and because uh, they know that you know through the account that we're, we're taking payment for the for the marquee or for or for the uh for the plaque we'll just get like 10 bucks and a lovely little anonymous message saying I would have come to see a movie Friday night. So here you go. And that's mm-hmm. happened a number of times. Oh, that's a yeah. So it's, it's, and that, people just, that's good. That's very heartwarming. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So 
it, it makes you you confident that we'll be back that you know the mayfair is going to be back screening movies sooner or later well, we, we're so happy to hear that because, you know, we wanted to take some of the money that we get from our Patreons and we wanted to forward it on to you and pay it forward and help with the Mayfair. Um, and so we're so happy to support. We hope that you all will support. And if and also support if you, you support local theaters wherever you are as well, because this is, as you said, such an important cultural thing to continue on. And there's and you, it has to continue. And people has like I have to have that. That's my thing if this doesn't ha- if i don't have that anymore like i don't know what i would do it's with like myself. your church being knocked yes, over it is, like, it, it is it is your temple like it's my know church 100 percent. So. so and i uh we josh and i we have a we have an inside joke about how we need to build the teleportation units that just has one <laughs> yeah. in la and one at the mayfair and like that's Been all waiting for that to be done people like need to get on top of that already like back to the mayfair <laughs> we, that will be one of our goals is when this is all over is that we need to have a little trip up to canada and come see you um and um, i i hear there are some amazing pierogies at your theater is this true oh so right across the street from us actually so we're in this amazing neighborhood like anytime it's funny because i listen to a number of podcasts from different cities and i think there's people like this in every city who think their city is the worst city. And I always get defensive of Ottawa because we're, we're a sleepy government town, but it's this perfect, like right in between Montreal and Toronto, but we still have all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. if you're into kind of mainstream sports, we've got, we've got hockey and football. And, and if you're into the arts, we've got, you know, an art gallery and an orchestra and all that kind of stuff. But in our little neighborhood uh, it's in old Ottawa South And across the street from us is Black Squirrel Books, which is an amazing little bookstore that has coffee houses and bands in there and stuff. And then right beside them is House of Targ, which is a pinball arcade, and they have amazing bands. But their gimmick is they only make pierogies. So it's pierogies and pinball. And (laughs) I love this concept. Oh, my gosh. And it's a great neighborhood thing because often when – you know, social media at its worst is the devil and social media at its best is little businesses or podcasts helping each other or, you know, that kind of thing. And so we'll do dinner and a movie and it's nothing official. Like we don't have tickets or anything, but people will tweet about, um, you know, went to Targ for pierogies and then went to the Mayfair to watch 2001 or went to Targ for pierogies and went to the Mayfair to watch RoboCop or whatever. And when we did, we'll do Saturday morning cartoons quarterly or so so they're over it's like from 10 a.m till 1 p.m and it's over just in time for people to go to target for lunch and so it's this great little community and you know we have a record store down the street and a little pub next door that people go to before or after the movie and and you see you see the support that it has had and it's it's bizarre i have this theory that like how how like like the mall killed off certain stores and then the internet's killing off the mall but then the little stores are hanging in there so like in canada uh hmv which was the big cd store from coast to coast died recently a few years back oh yeah and but there's still two little record stores within walking distance of the mayfair and i'm sure they have very loyal patrons who buy a record once a month or twice a month and they don't need ten thousand people in the door every day like a mall does so and it's like the Mayfair. We have 325 seats. So we don't have 20 screens. So uh, during our comeback in between lockdowns, we were able to have 50 people plus staff. And it's a joke that I have seen many cinemas make on Twitter of, of oh, we can have 150 people in a day? That's gangbusters. That's better than we normally do. So we were, that's what's good about us too, is we could get by on that. Uh, the multiplexes, couldn't get by on having 50 people in. So we found our, we when we come back, we might find ourselves in the strange silver lining position of being the only screen in Ottawa. And that might mean. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I feel like this is a full on movie. I really am like the last screen in Ottawa, you know, like. Yeah. That's your, that's your next project, Josh. We've written it for you. Yeah. You you have no choice. (laughs) And like, who knows what that <laughs> means so great. with like, like bigger distributors letting us have stuff fast or like, it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting 2021, 2022 for movie distribution. Brave new world. Fingers crossed. 
Yeah. So speaking of movies, that's why we're here to talk too. You recommended an amazing movie from Canada, eh? Um, yeah. Ginger Snaps. Um, that we'd love to talk with you about today. Uh, um, neither one of us had actually seen this, which yeah. is shocking because this is up uh, both of our alleys pretty hardcore. Um, this movie came out in 2000. It was written by Karen Walton and John Fawcett, who also directed it. Um, and the tagline for this movie is, they don't call it the curse for nothing. <laughs> Sorry, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, I also, I have some alternate universe casting for you before we jump in, because yeah, I that's, know. that's our favorite. Uh, so we could have, uh, both of these actresses, this is for Ginger, um, both of these actresses turned this down. So they could have had Sarah Polly. Oh, yeah. Or Natasha Lyonne. I was like, oh, <laughs> that would have been so fun to watch both of them. Oh, my gosh. These girls were great, though. Um, I want to know why Josh picked this movie for us. <laughs> well, I I want to do something Canadian content for your listeners, maybe to watch something they haven't uh, seen before. I'm glad you guys got to to see it because I didn't know how in Canada here it's on prime but i didn't know you know distribution's a weird beast so i didn't know if it'd be available down there and it's it's a popular kind of cult film i have them on dvd uh the trilogy there's actually three of them and but it's it's you know it's it's not a it wasn't a giant blockbuster it it wasn't i don't think it's known the way that david cronenberg movies are or stuff like that and but it does have a cult following it's definitely something that i've heard of a lot yeah and it's 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 now 21 years old, which is that when you're of a certain age and you hear something is 20 years old, you're like, oh, my God, that's 20 years old. But yeah, uh, like how they're like the kids are like, oh, we don't have to card you for drinks because I see a one in your birthday. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> those kids are 21 now. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think the the we you know a lot of this movie comes down to casting, um, and I think both uh, Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins are amazing in this film. Um, and I had seen Emily Perkins before as Bev Marsh in the nineteen ninety version of it, so you know I'm already on board because I'm like, oh, you got a Stephen King connection, you're Bev Marsh, I'm on board. Um, and she did, I think, you know, you have this real dichotomy of, and you have especially. Uh, ginger doing this huge arc of character development which i think that they really play with and have fun with um and these are you know because terry and i are of a certain type of slightly twisted girl and so these kind of girls really relate like they have you know the the opening credits is they they they're obsessed with like doing death pictures like really terrible awful death pictures and like that's a whole sequence of them having fun and like that's what they do for fun and i was like oh terry and i could do that like that's not so far off (laughs) like we could do something like that and have a blast yeah. So it doesn't like it's hard for us to be like, oh, they're sick from the beginning because like, oh, we're we're already that. I was like, oh, they're sick. cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, those girls are cool. Yeah, like, I, I like wish I girls. had. I wish I had more friends that would want to do that. <laughs> and it doesn't pull punches. Like the first thing you see in the movie is a dead dog, and killing people in a movie is fine. But when yeah. you see a dog dead, you know it's 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 not messing around. And the first thing you see our two heroes doing is talking about a a suicide pact these two teenage sisters so that's the first thing you see right away is is a suicide pact and a dead dog and that's the start of our canadian teen horror film yeah which is yeah but i'm like if that's the start i had that moment too i was like if that's how this movie is starting you know they're gonna go some places because that's like a crazy baseline to set is like the amount of blood in the first five minutes alone of this movie is a lot I was hooked and excited, but also like trigger warning, like, oh, my God, there's going to be some mad violence in this movie. Yeah, because I think but it's good, though, because I think it's a kind of like that marker where if you're real squeamish and you might see that that first five minutes and be like, you know what? Maybe not. And you're like, that's good, though. Like you you rule out the, the weaklings, you get the hardcore on board and like on you go. But I agree. The killing a dog is intense and people do not like to see that you can watch a horror movie people get slaughtered all over the place but you kill a dog and people are like no even if it's just as fake and these girls are the outcasts at the high school naturally and like to stand off being sulky and smoking and looking angsty they're just mad they just seem angry too and i like how angry they're committed to that anger too and they fuel each other's like anger fire but it did kind of remind me of like the heavenly creatures relationship where like these girls are not good for each other like they're each other's support and emotion but like they fuel this evil part of each other 
from the very beginning, you're like, oh, that's not probably not a healthy relationship. Like if they're, if they at eight years old, were like, we're going to kill ourselves at 16. You're like, oh man, that's probably you guys. And, and so crazy because their parents are so normal, right? Like the, you have uh, Mimi or Rogers. Are they? I don't know. I feel like Mimi or Rogers, are they? she seems like she was in a totally different movie to me. Like she was on well, in some sort thing. of comedy, right? She was not on their level at all. Mimi Rogers Her was this great like is she was this great like Brady Bunch mom and very supportive. But even she, there's one point where where Ginger storms off and B follows after her, and she goes, "You're not attached at the wrist. You don't have to do everything she does." So it's it's the dad is out of the picture. The dad like doesn't care at all. He's there, but he's just kind of a boring suburban dad. And then the mom's trying really hard to be the girl's best friends. And it's this, you know, kind of on the nose, but but the the whole like puberty equals becoming a monster thing. And the mom being like embarrassingly supportive of the girl at a certain time in her life. And I have heard that that is very uh, truthful moment for some for some people. So. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think it's interesting, too, because like I have a lot of friends that are newish parents, too, that are like worried about messing up their kids in some way. And I just told them I was like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a good parent or a bad parent. Your kid is still going to be messed up like and fucked up somehow, because like if your parents are too nice, you feel like you have to push against that. If they're too cool, you have to feel like you have to push against that somehow. It doesn't matter what type of parent you are. You will have opposition at some point with your child or they will have to contend with some point of that with you and I think she's like one of those examples of like you said the mom who wants to be your BFF so she's a little too cool a little too excited about everything which makes them unenthusiastic about everything because she's so enthusiastic they have to have that opposition somehow so uh this movie is a werewolf movie in case we haven't mentioned that uh we, there's going to be some wolfing going on uh and there's a uh, ginger at night gets a full-on wolfed attacked where it looks like she got a lot more damage than she did. Like what she really got is like a big claw mark across and like a bite across her shoulder. But she looks like she's getting mauled, like American Werewolf in London style mauled. And I was like, wow, she came out okay. She's all right. She's bloody, but pretty okay. And the monsters are, you think of the like 2000. So if they filmed it in 99, um, I noticed this on the sequels. And I think the first one, so it's K and B effects did the, the werewolves in it. And yeah, like they're, they're, they're monsters. Like they're big, feral, angry. They're, they're not like a guy in jeans. Like it's, it's a werewolf. <laughs> no, they're like creepy, sweaty werewolves. They're kind of gross. They, you, they have still like a little bit of human. They're not as furry as like, I think like a typical, like American werewolf, werewolf, but they're just like, kind of just, I don't know. They look a little gelatinous They're kind of gross. They look Cronenbergy for sure. Like that like weird like body horror. I was just like, are they human? Are they what are they? They're part something. You can't tell. They just look disgusting and I do, liked it. Do we ever learn where the world comes from? No. That's just, no, that's just mystery, right? He's like in and out. My favorite kind of horror movie or horror story of, of like 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 Night Living Dead. We don't know what happened. Just zombies show up. But like in this too, it's I, I meant to look this up. I forgot if the werewolf part of the word werewolf means transformation because technically there's no coming back from this. This is like a one-way street. This is not like Incredible Hulk. Like she right. becomes that. And then I think the final product is a giant like walking on all fours monster. And then she doesn't turn back to Ginger when the moon goes away. So I think that's a slightly different twist oh. on the mythology. Oh, okay. So it's like you turn into a were like you slowly transform into a werewolf, and then you're a werewolf permanently. You don't ever get back into human form. I believe so. Yeah, I think that's what these movies are. Huh. Wow, that's kind of crazy. And then what do, what do you do between full moons? You just like hang out like a wolf. I think you're just a wolf. Yeah, that's it. Oh, so that I doesn't sound so bad, really. Yeah, it's kind of fun. 
But that is, I, mean, I don't know about fun, but she does seem to get drunk on it as as it's going on. It starts changing her mentality and attitude uh, with her friends and with her sister. Um, she starts getting more aggressive with guys because she'd been like anti-boy before. I like this because this was like a teen girl werewolf story versus like I feel like all the teen wolf movies are like dudes. So I was very excited to see like, oh, this is what a lady's like. She's like, oh, my gosh, I'm awakened and she's hungry and she's like all alpha. And these guys think they can try to control her. And she's like, no, no, no. I got this now and like fights for it. And I just was very excited to watch that. Um, can we just mention, I'm sorry to li- add a little carrot to this conversation, uh, but if we're talking about uh, female werewolves, can we talk about uh, My Stepmother's a Werewolf? Have you seen that? My Stepmom's a Werewolf? <laughs> Have you seen that movie? I have that one. It's really, okay. It's yes. really goofy. It's really fucking goofy. But I just wanted to mention it because it never gets mentioned. So there we are. Hello. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lady Werewolves. <laughs> I and forgot yes, about that movie. Uh, good. Well, this is why I bring it up <laughs> to remember. <laughs> so, yes, Ginger starts doing drugs and getting sexy. And she's starting to grow a tail as well. And this whole, like tail thing throughout this movie is so repulsive because it's you know they're trying she's trying to like tape it down because it's like waggling around and she's wearing jeans and you're like oh that's the body like, can you imagine i just imagine her making out with some guy and like he reaches down to grab her butt and then all of a sudden he's like wait and like-, it's like the tail's wagging <laughs> well and the most awful part where a bit later in the film but ginger snaps and she's b runs into the bathroom ah. and has to tackle a knife out of her sister's hand because Ginger's trying to cut off her tail. That, again, in a movie filled with blood and guts, something about that was really disturbing. Yeah, because it was like her lady penis. I know, I'm sorry, I'll say it. It was like her lady penis, though, a little bit, right? Because it's like what made her a little crazy. Yeah, because it's not like a cute, fluffy, furry tail. It's like a disgusting, naked rat tail. Um, And as a teenage girl, what's more important than appearances and holy fuck, you have a disgusting tail growing out of your back. Uh, But so B also becomes friends with Sam, who is the local drug dealer, who turns out to be uh, quite astute and quite learned in uh, plants and herbs. So that comes in handy. Right. But he also um, was the one who happened to kill the first werewolf that had attacked Ginger. And so he and B are the only two people that have actually seen the creature beforehand right. and had like, and also not just saw it, but like clocked what it was. Yeah. Cause there he's like, like lycanthrope. He's like, he got it. He's on it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that would be you and me. I was like, I just fucking hate a werewolf, Terry. It was totally a werewolf. Like you would yeah. be like, well, there it was. There it was. And I have a picture. Like there's evidence <laughs> to like back it up and verify it too. So she's trying to figure out how to cure Ginger, but telling Sam that it's her that's having the problem. So she she doesn't out her. But meanwhile, their relationship is just crumbling because Ginger's turning into this other person who doesn't have room for her little sister. And so it's becoming a very personal battle and how far is it going to go? Uh, And so B's trying her hardest and it's all going a little bit wrong. Uh, And uh, and while Ginger's having uh, sex sex with one of uh, her high school buddies, uh, bites him? No, just has sex with him, right? It was yeah, just, just she didn't bite him. Yeah, that spreads the werewolf. It's really rough. Yeah, <laughs> just rough, rough back at the car sex. It's crazy. It looks like she's beating him up for real. But yeah, I, with no condom, which means she has now transmitted the werewolf to him. So this is what something Terry and I talk about a lot on the podcast: how every movie, werewolf movie, vampire movie, ghost movie, have their own rules inside that universe of that world, and so this has some werewolf rules that i've never seen before right i've never seen like you turn into wolf permanently i've never seen sexually transmitted wolfism um that looks gnarly it looks very sexually transmitted disease you're like oh no this is yeah this guy uh jason starts peeing blood and looks like he's on his period all of a sudden at school which i thought was kind of awesome because the trauma that is bleeding in high school in the middle of walking down the hallway and people noticing uh, I think, guys, I'm, I just was excited to see a boy experience this moment. <laughs> and he's like Terrifying. the bully guy, too. So he's kind of that character in a horror movie who you don't mind seeing terrified, traumatized. Oh, yeah. Um, and we also have, they say we don't. So normally the the wolf uh, herb would be wolfsbane in most films. But here we're like, no, no, no wolfsbane. How about some monkshood? We're like, OK, 
I'll buy it. Whatever. Let's go. So uh, Sam and is able to distill the monkshood essence into a liquid that you can, he's hypothesizing perhaps if they inject it into the werewolf, this will cure them. But of course, no evidence could totally kill them, but they're kind of fucked anyway. So eh, give it a try. So she brings it. She's going to give it to Ginger, but meets Jason along the way and stabs him with it. And it seems to cure him. Seems to. Kind of. I don't know. He just kind of staggers off and seems slightly more lucid. But I'm like, I don't know if it like, ding, cured him. So does it, Josh? Is there more about him later? Like what, what does, does this cure him? Or is he well, in the sequels? See, I, I'm in a precarious position because I know that your podcast is okay because it's, it's dissecting and spoiling. But I know that Julia is very against spoilers. So she, he knows. He does listen. Very astute. <laughs> so, there, there is a it's a really great trilogy and part two and three hold up as well uh i was like a keener kind of thing and and like like a like someone in a, in a high school class reading the next two shakespeare books so i just watched all three movies this week and part two is a direct sequel maybe about five years later with b same girls in, uh yeah yeah and it's it's b in a, a woman's shelter asylum because she is a drug addict hmm who's uh, giving herself needles to to uh, keep becoming a wolf at bay. Um, and then Ginger is kind of a ghost oh. in the movie, maybe an imaginary friend. Then the third one, uh, inexplicably, is a uh, not even a prequel, just like an alternate universe. And it's in 1815 in Canada during like the Hudson Bay Company stuff. And they are two orphan girls in the <laughs> Canadian wilderness. And they, they, it's in like a, um, uh, uh, they, they, they meet up with some pioneers and there's some soldiers and they have an encampment where they're usually doing fur trading and what? stuff. And they, there's werewolves. So it's this Werewolf really great standalone movie. Yeah. Well, like they, they're stuck there because they were like, you know, hunting for fur. And then, and then lo and behold, there's werewolves who the local, uh, indigenous people call, uh, Wendigo. So they kind of tie that into the mythology, mm-hmm. but it's a complete like part two ends with, Oh, we can do That's a part so three. Random. And instead they did a standalone alternate universe with the same two actresses. And it's great. But there's part of me that's like, why didn't you do a third one? Like it's, it's very, it's a very strange. And then that's it. Like three. And they did two and three back to back around like 2003, 2004. And they're great, but it's, it's well, very maybe, bizarre. Maybe like you said, like the comic books, sometimes they take uh, six months to come out for the next issue. Maybe we will have ginger snaps for, oh, I'd love and, it. Yeah. And who knows? They, they continue. I mean, it is kind of a cool, it's like, um, like American horror story, right? Where Ryan Murphy uses the same cast, but then just changes the location and, and yeah. the story behind it. So if you could just have like an infinite amount of universes where the werewolves are, like they're everywhere. So you buy it no matter what. I don't, it's not, I don't mind it. It's not like Halloween three where you're going to like totally jump the shark and just be like, Michael Myers doesn't exist. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. This is crazy. Um, no, I love it. I love a different, different time, timescape though. Yeah. And they even have like, it's so the they same. So do go to, um, please continue. Oh, sorry. yeah. I was just saying, and it's, it's not something like it's their grandparents. Like it's the same girls, the same two names. They have the little bird head skulls, necklaces, so it's just an alternate universe part three, but I recommend it. it. It's as good as the first one. All right. Well, Ginger, Ginger Snaps uh, Marathon is in your future, yeah. listeners. Yeah. Ginger Snap Party. Uh, and speaking of will parties. We have ginger Snaps. Will we eat Ginger Snaps and we'll make like ginger meals and like have like a whole. Well, anyway, I'm going to. Like, yeah, I'm doing a theme. I'm planning a theme now. I like okay. it. Uh, so speaking of parties, they go to a Halloween party, which is kind of the the big where everything's going wrong and, and everybody's wires are getting crossed and everybody's running around. And of course there's some uh, wolfing out going on. And I love this because the mom drives Bridget little B to this party and the mom has already, and dad have discovered that the girls had been playing like they've been killing things. And they're like, Oh, when they see dead things, obviously they've set it up like a, a girl cries wolf kind of moment. We're like, Oh, it's just the kids doing things. It's like, Oh no. These are actual dead people we're finding now. The girls are actually killers now. Uh, oops. And the mom's like worried because she's like, this is going to reflect badly on me. And this is <laughs> her response. <laughs> like sorry. it's all about her. <laughs> <laughs> 
It reminded me of my mom in the weirdest way. She was always like, if I got like a B in a class, she'd be like, that's my fault. Like I didn't like, do enough to make sure you got an A. And I was like, mom, you could not be responsible for all my quote unquote failures. <laughs> But it, it is this kind of like sweet mom reaction, right? Where they they had killed one of the they're one of the bully girls and buried her in the backyard. But two of the fingers came off and are laying in the yard. And mom finds it, puts it in Tupperware, and puts it in the freezer, and then just like pulls it out. And you know, this kind of mom you would think would be, let me go to the police straight away, right? Like that's kind of that mom. And then she's like, no, no, we're gonna hide this. We're gonna fix this. This is nobody's gonna find like, out. I'm gonna drive you away, and I'm gonna. She's like, I'm gonna be your getaway driver, basically. And this is where that killed me that was the twist i was not expecting was this mom to be on board with their murders yeah, and like, like help them get away the and well like nobody will ever find anything like what about dad I'm like meh well dad like if he gets out he gets out like it's like <laughs> <laughs> mom is ready to murder too i was on board with that oh my god she's crazy so and then they could finally like bond because now they both are like okay murder we're okay with it this is a family thing now um, but it has to be this kind of long at the end. You have this big finale where Jet Ginger's finally turning into the wolf. She's kind of a cute wolf, you have to admit. She looks hot. So it's a Halloween party. So people don't realize that she's not wearing makeup. Like she's looking wolfier and wolfier. She's got the crazy eye now. And the, the, the her eyes have turned kind of a color. Her hair has been going steadily grayer and grayer as the movie has gone on, looking more like her wolf uh, hair color. Um, and so Sam is, it's the party's at Sam's. Uh, uh, greenhouse greenhouse where he grows drugs and other plant related items so, is this guy a hero or like the worst ever because i don't know if he's supposed to be like 22 or 25 and he's having a party with a bunch of teenagers and he's selling them drugs so he's the strangest character in this movie he seems redeemable like he's trying to do a good thing and i have no idea he does seem a little bit like the matt mcconaughey of the you know, of the oh, days yeah. the confused set it's, here. It's, it is interesting. Like, why why is he interested in helping her, right? Like, because they have this bond, they saw this werewolf, I get it. But then they also keep mentioning, like, oh, he's kind of a a player and he likes to get with girls and then leave them. And, and so, like, he doesn't seem to have that attraction to her at all. So I think it maybe for him it's this different thing. It was like, oh, I've never met a girl who I could be on the same level with and like is the same as like just as smart as I am and we're gonna like figure this thing out together so and I like think- believes and knows the supernatural and maybe he's got that kind of background like it's like I don't know it's like when all the kids get together and Buffy you're like oh we all have weird supernatural stuff around us and we can see it and no one else is aware but we are the ones that are aware so we're gonna bond yeah um, and so they end up having a big finale battle um, at back at their apartment at their weird house that they live in the basement that's not finished. That I, I, I'm like, did they choose to live like this to look like they live in like a serial killer basement? I think that's the idea, right? Like this is their aesthetic. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know. It's got that kind of suburban unfinished basement thing that I think some have. But also we've already established it. The mom completely is fine with the murder murder photo projects that they take so maybe that's all part of the thing but yeah so it's it's, i don't know scary suburbia horror movie suburbia what's scarier than that i mean yeah (laughs) suburbia so they end up having a big battle and uh brie ends up stabbing sam and killing her and and this is another thing with this werewolf is like you just run it over dead stab it dead you're like oh that's pretty easy, right? Normally werewolf, you like, it's silver bullet or nothing. Like anything else that happens to it, you're coming back. And this one's like, no, you just stab it. Okay, we're dead. Like, All right. Well, there you are. But I think it's interesting um, that now we have B who's going to end up in an asylum because, yeah, you would. And I'm glad because more final girls, that's like the next, that's the next episode, right? It's like you have the broken final girl at the end of the movie and the next episode is, oh, now she's in an asylum because, yeah, it would, you're like, oh, my sister, I stabbed my sister, I killed her. And she was a werewolf. Well, I did it. And not just that, we had a suicide pack since we were eight years old. So I think there might be some other backstory to like unpack maybe there. Um, and the fact that she was going along with it and all the murders that they she witnessed that were fake murders, then the real murders, then the animal murders, then the friend murders <laughs> and potentially killing your family murders. I don't know. There's a lot. Yeah, it seems like the kind of movie I thought that this movie was super fun. Seems like the kind of movie that could get some. Uh you know, parents groups angry at it if they if they noticed it. A lot of bad influence teenager stuff going on. I think they're trying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie's trying to to make parents angry. And I like that about it. That it's just like you they would be the kind of movie you would watch with the teenage girl and you'd be like, no, turn it off. Not watching this. You're like, good. Yes. 
take that mom. <laughs> and that's what I like about it is it's kind of from the beginning, this kind of slap in the face of doing things that films normally avoid because they're so uh, triggering. And then it just kind of goes from there and turns into this really nice allegory about puberty and what does it mean to change into a woman and how people see you and how you react and what is your, how do you respond differently now? Um, and plus the sister relationship, but it just goes wrong and you have the weak sister kind of having to find her strength in order to kill your best friend and sister but it was also a request like she was actually fulfilling the request too because her sister was really insistent on this like dead by 16 thing and she's the older sister so she was actually i think fulfilling her like she's like i can do it i'm helping her and that realization i feel like as she looked around the room kind of in that death moment of like all the you know montage of photos that they have of all the things that they've done all the times they faked it. And this is like, this is more epic than they could have even planned. Like who knew that she was going to be a wolf while she did it? Like that wasn't ever in any of the photos. And the movie doesn't have like that, um, I don't know, happy ending that some horror movies have. Like say like at Scream at the end, our survivors are, hey, we did it. We're sitting on a couch and eating popcorn. Like this movie ends of, of oh, I killed my werewolf sister. Roll credits. Like, that's it. Like, that's the end of the story for her. Yeah. And the background is so bleak. I, I like, drew my little sketch, like, of, like, the background of the room. Because it's, like, the above their beds, like, they're little, like, they looks like they're already living in an institution. So the fact that she ends up in one, I was like, oh, she was already made herself one almost. Like, the little picture montages they put in the form of a cross, like, above their beds. So it was, like, death crosses above their like looking like mental institution beds with the crazy like little drapes and curtains I was like it looked like a portal to hell because like the window <laughs> that was above it too was illuminated at that moment as well that was like a like in between their two beds so I was like it looks like she's just gonna like go through this portal to like the other side somehow it was very poetic beautifully shot and and sad and wonderful I and loved it the, the photo montages remind me of session nine of all like the photos in the uh, in the institution. Um, mm -hmm. I am so glad that I finally got to see this movie. It is uh, a delight and uh, also fucked up. So those are the, you mm -hmm. know, if you, those are things you like delightfully fucked up movies, this one is for you and it's got cool uh, female characters and a broken final girl. So uh, who doesn't like that? I like dreams. that. Dreams come <laughs> true, Julia. <laughs> now we haven't, can I ask you just a few more questions, Josh? Uh, what is your favorite horror movie? My favorite horror movie, I think I would have to go with Evil Dead 2. When I was in high nice. school, my friends and I watched Evil Dead 2 and Nightbreed like every other weekend mm -hmm. from the video store. And years later, I'm talking like in our 30s, I went, wait a minute. We could have just kept those movies and paid the penalty and not rented them every single weekend. It was years later we realized we just could have like you stole were supporting them. your local video store. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love Evil Dead too. I, I'm a you big were good kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was too good to think about committing crime. But uh, I I love Bruce Campbell. I love Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert, and I've followed their careers my whole life. Uh, whether it be uh, Spider Man or Xena or you know. Sam's about to do the new Doctor Strange movie. I'm a big fan. Uh, I've had the honor of briefly meeting Bruce Campbell and a friend of mine worked on a movie with nice. him, a friend of mine who's a costume designer. And I timidly, I was like, oh, please tell me nice things about Bruce Campbell. And she confirmed that he was a sweetheart and very nice to work with because it would have broken my little heart if I found out that he was some coffee throwing in a production assistant's face monster or something. But... But yeah, Evil Dead yes. Two. Yeah, Evil Dead Two is it, and I, I love I love uh, all of Sam's stuff, and that introduced me to the the Coen Brothers and all kinds of interesting things. And but there's something about that a bunch of friends making a low budget movie that is Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two that is just very uh, very endearing to the horror nerd. You know, it's very like you can do it too. Like we did this, we don't know what we're doing, and we did yeah. this, so you can do it too. Oh yeah, agreed. It's completely inspirational. I love the I love Sam Raimi, especially the really early stuff like that. So that's your favorite. But what is the scariest? Mm -hmm. Scariest? God, see, um, 
I'm not a kid who was scarred for life by anything. I don't have a story of, I saw this and now I'm afraid of things. My mom, when she was a kid, uh, before there was like ratings and things. So like in the early sixties, she would see village of the damned with her older teenage siblings. And so she was like, you know, a 10 year old brought to this movie and you look at village of the damned and it's not, you know, it's not too scarring, but it has creepy little kids and they don't have eyes and it's freaky. So she has that story. I don't have that story because for better, or for worse, my parents were just like, yeah, you can watch this and you can watch that. But I distinctly remember watching uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS and it just hitting you like, wow, this is like a documentary and being conscious of people watching that for the first time, thinking they were just going to a horror movie. That's what I always think of, of the people walking into that movie, thinking it was a, a studio picture with, with actors who looked a certain way and a cinematography style and a certain production design. And it must've just wrecked people like it. Cause it was like watching a snuff film practically. And so, yeah, so I think Texas Chainsaw yep. is one that I no, remember that- as fear. That's the same for me. Texas Chainsaw is my still my mine mine the scariest as well. Um, yeah. And it, it does it. And the last time I watched it, because I saw it on the big screen last time I saw it, and it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful film. It's just you don't notice it because you're so terrified that it's not you're not looking at the cinematography and looking at all the cuts and looking at the lighting and stuff because you're just going it's an art house movie. Yeah, it's it a total really art is. house movie, hundred percent. And. Josh, we have to ask you our big question. If you're going to give anybody the tips, because this is where people come for their survival guide, right? What is your horror movie survival guide tip that you would pass on to, to, to the people? I always think it's the simplicity of don't panic <laughs> of like, yeah, don't, don't be that character who, who is, is uh, in, in the grocery store in the mist and says, no, it's all going to be fine. I'm getting out of here. And then you run outside and get killed. Like that, that seems to be the way people get knocked (laughs) off, whether you're in like an aliens type movie or whatever. It's like, like, don't panic, think things through, take a breath. I think that's, I think that was good advice during, you know, this last year. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's excellent. That's excellent. Keep calm and live on. Keep calm and live on. (laughs) Yeah. Don't don't panic is one we haven't had before, but I think that is good. Simplicity of it. I agree. Um, It's the, it's the girl in hysterics that's going to get eaten real quick. Um, Sadly, I think I might be prone to be that hysteric girl. So (laughs) I think I'll have to remember the don't panic when this, when, and what happens when this comes. Final... I was keeping quiet over here about that. Jules. You knew it, didn't <laughs> you? Terry knows. I get a little uppity sometimes, you know, but it's okay. Uh, Josh, this is so wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you so much for supporting us and for uh, the putting us in your comic book, which is still so mind-blowing, uh, eaten by zombie children. I'm so happy about that. Um, thank you. And so is there anything else that you would like to plug or tell us to look out for or where we can find you? Please tell us. Sure. Uh, I'll just say that uh, Damn Cursed Children is a comic from Source Point Press. Uh, buying comic books is, is a little strange. It's not as easy as you would hope. You can't just walk into a comic store and get everything because every month thousands of comic books come out and stores don't buy everything. Uh, but the first three issues are available now through Previews Catalog. But if you phone or email or social media your local comic shop and just say that you're looking for Damn Cursed Children, they can back order that first issue, which... Uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be out. That's January 27th for the f- first issue. And then the next four in the months to follow. And you can also get it through digital means if you want to read comic books on your tablet through Source Point Press. And uh, then hopefully in the fall, we'll have a nice big fat collected edition of the book as well. And uh, so, yeah, Ooh. so support every book sold is great. We're hoping to do more stories within this world and uh, every every sale helps. So uh, if you buy that comic from us it's very much appreciated and any and what about with the mayfair podcast where can we find that yeah mayfair theater podcast we passed somehow past 300 episodes uh at the end of 2020 amazing that's so much work amazing (laughs) just the key is i think what helped a lot is just it's a little flexible some co-hosts came in and out you know we we weren't um you know, wrangling guests and stuff like that for the most part. So it's, it's, it's a little easier, but we just kept on it. And, and now we have a bunch and 
that podcast is, yes, it's to talk about the Mayfair, but we have a lot of listeners who, because like a lot of podcasts on a theme, we'll just talk about whatever for half an hour or 40 minutes and then go, oh, wait, here's what this week's movies are. So we'll talk about the industry <laughs> and movies and comic books and actors we like and whatever. So the past year has been interesting because it's just kind of become this podcast about being a small business during a pandemic. And mm-hmm. so, and we've had a lot of great feedback um, of just people saying, we're glad you're still there because it gives us a little connection to the city once a week. And and so that's very, very nice. So we continue to soldier on with our podcast now and uh, you can listen to that everywhere. It's, it's, it's on all the places you listen to podcasts. Um, and if you're a, a cinema nerd anywhere in the world with a couple dollars to spend, uh, you can buy a message on our marquee or buy a name plaque from us. And uh, that helps us uh, keep the Mayfair Cinema open as one of the, the last of its kind in, in our country of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Just toss a coin to the Mayfair. All good. Just for all the goodness that they've done. And we really appreciate your support. Um, thank you again, Josh. And thank you for you like being the ambassador of the Mayfair and this amazing comic and so many wonderful things. So we're just delighted that we got to spend a little time with you. Um, check us out, you guys, all you listeners. You guys know where to find us on the internet. Horror Movie Survival Guide um, on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Patreon, the merch store, uh, the Teespring. Um, you can find it all. If you find one of them, you can find the link tree and get to all the things. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys again next week real soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.